All right, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Everybody's good? Awesome, awesome. I'm excited about today. Glad to be back. Uh, it was very weird missing a Sunday. That may not seem weird to you, but I'm, <laughs> I have to be here every week or people notice. Um, and so uh, it, was, it was interesting not being here, but I just I wanted to say thanks again to Jake if he's watching today. Um, and even if he's not, I really want you guys to know how much I appreciate him. Uh, covering for me last week. Um, if you were not here and you did not get a chance to listen to his sermon, um, please do so. It's on Podbean uh, or uh, podcast or wherever you consume that media. It's there. Um, and I just want to say, um, if if anyone needs a Donkey Pro, it's this guy. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to the message. Um, but I thought about it this week, and I like to justify things. And if anyone can justify needing a donkey pro, it's me. Um, I shared with Jake this week after uh, I listened to his sermon that it was obvious that he spent a lot of time studying, and that's really good. But more importantly, it was very obvious that he was allowing the Holy Spirit to be in control while he was here in the pulpit. And, and that may sound like a simple thing to do, but I can tell you from experience it's not, uh, especially when it's your first time ever to preach. Um, there's just a lot of pressure, a lot of, a lot of eyeballs on you, and so uh, it's not always easy. Jake preached on the two verses previous to the ones that we're going to cover today, uh, and the main goal of his message is that death has been defeated. Uh, we've seen that echoed again in the music and the worship today. Um, and not only did Jesus defeat death, but Jesus went through the same kind of struggles that we go through. And that is significant. It's significant enough that we're going to see the author of Hebrews repeat that same idea in verse 17, which we're going to cover today, and we're going to spend more time talking about that. I love this quote that I took from Jacob's sermon last week. He said, Christ dealt with everything that we have dealt with. Take any modern example, and you can reduce it down to a shared human experience. And man, what a truth for us to grasp a hold of today, this week. This idea comes out of verse 14, and again, we're going to see that echoed in verse 17 today. Jake also pointed out that Jesus destroyed death. He rendered it completely powerless, and that is a significant truth. That is a joyous truth for us as a body of believers, not just here, but globally, okay? Um, you guys probably know some of the significance of why Jake preached last week, uh, but I wanted to share a few things from my perspective about why that was significant. First of all, I had to work and be out of town, and so I needed, and, and I wouldn't have the time that I typically have during a week to study. The intent was that my wife was going to go with me, and we were going to get to spend that time together. That didn't happen. Thanks, Amy. I tried to break her leg. Um, so that was, I thought I was getting a, a week away with my wife. So that was significant. That was a thing that, that, that I wanted and, and desired, obviously. The second reason it was important is because Jacob had never preached before. And typically when someone preaches for the first time, there's a support structure around him from, from the staff. Typically the pastor is there and they kind of help with that. And I was absent. So that was a lot for Jake to take on. And thirdly, and I want to place most of the emphasis on this today, is that Jake's got a newborn in the house. And anybody who's ever had a first child understands all the pressure, the lack of sleep, and all of the stress that is involved in that process. And so Jake took time away from, from what he normally would be doing in the care of a seven and eight or eight week old child and spent that studying and preparing to share what the Lord had with you guys. Um, and the other thing that it did is it allowed me, my brother dedicated all three of his kids and it gave me an opportunity I didn't know that was happening just worked out that way 
but I got to go and be a part of that service and, and commit with the rest of my family and his church body to help raise um, his, his three children to know the Lord, to do the things that we talk about doing. So Jake sacrificed his time so that I could take care of the things in my life that needed to be taken care of. Need to be taken care of, and it and it may seem easy to say, yeah, Jake's an elder; it's a thing he's supposed to do, and just kind of blow that off. But I want us to think about something today. God's using that example; use that example in my life, and I want to share it with you guys this week. That all of us have experienced other people making sacrifices for our benefit, and I want us to spend some time thinking about what that does for us this morning. God has called us to live in community with one another. And often that manifests itself in us giving of our time and resources in order to help the people that we love. This is a significant marker in the lives of believers, and it set the early church apart from the rest of culture. Look with me at Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. This is something that we all have heard a thousand times in church, but I want us to see it in the Word this morning and let the Holy Spirit remind our hearts of what this feels like. In verse 41, it says, So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and properties and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to the meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. When we invite people to be a part of our lives, when we make purposeful, intentional sacrifices for them, when we invest in their lives, they begin to experience what the church was experiencing when the Holy Spirit came. We get to experience what the church was experiencing when the Holy Spirit came. We do this in a lot of ways in our life groups. We we bring meals when new babies or foster children arrive in a home. We we host wedding and baby showers to celebrate those momentous occasions in people's lives. We help by cleaning up before and after life groups. We help recover from natural disasters. I thought it was so ironic that the children's message today was about Hurricane Katrina. Bruno's, we love you. We've been to their house a couple of times. Hopefully we don't have to do that again. Amen? Right? (laughs) Sold? Do we really? Yes. Listen, our list can go on and on. This lifestyle of choosing to live sacrificially is part of the DNA of what it means to be the church. To put yourself before others. And we know this because we see it not only in the church responding in this way, but we see this in the life of Jesus, that he lived and he died for his people. Look with me today at our scripture from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. And we're going to see again. And look, we've spent a lot of time the last couple, or the last year for sure, last two years, talking about sorrow and suffering and trials. And church, that's not an accident. I believe that one of the things that the Lord wants us to do is to see that that is normal. That it's part of life. Not that we accept it and go, okay, I'm just going to suffer forever. But that when it happens, we can see it, recognize for, for what it is, and then pursue on through that with the help of the Holy Spirit. But look at verses 16 through 18 with me. 
It says, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, to make propitiation, I can't say that word, for the sins of his people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Look, I want to make this point this morning. I titled this message, The Humanity of Jesus, okay? Because my goal today is for us to see and to understand in a new way what that means for us and for the people in our lives. The first point I want to make today is that death was not defeated for himself or for angels, but for you and I. There's no benefit for God in and of himself to defeat death. He was already bigger than death. He's immortal. He doesn't die. So it wasn't for him. The angels also are immortal. There was no need for him to defeat death for him. They'll never experience it. Jesus defeated death for you and me. And that is significant. No one benefits from Jesus giving up heaven to join us in our suffering but us. Jesus didn't benefit from that. He did it solely for us. The second thing I want to point out is that in order to accomplish this goal, Jesus had to become like us. He became like us. I read this this week. Um, it's a quote from Max Licato from one of his books. The reference is up on the screen. I don't remember the name of the book off the top of my hand, but read this with me this morning, or read it as I read it. It says, angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with him and had the synagogue leader in Nazareth known who was listening to his sermons. Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him or vice versa. It could be that his knees were bony. One thing's for sure, he was, while completely divine, completely human. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to wooing women. He got colds, burped, and had body odor. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired. And his head ached. To think of Jesus in such a light is, well, it seems almost irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable it is much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation. Clean the manure from around the manger, wipe the sweat out of his eyes, pretend he never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. When I was first starting in ministry, I was in the Methodist church, and there was a shirt, I don't know who did it, but it had a picture of John Wesley, because that's the founder of the United Methodist Church, and it said, John Wesley is my homeboy. And a lot of the purple hairs, as we called them in those days, Y'all know who that is? Okay. We don't have a lot of those. We don't have any of those in our church. Okay, I can say that out loud. It's all right. Purple hairs are people that are older. My grandma had this purple shampoo. I never understood it. She had white hair and purple shampoo, and her hair came out purple. I don't know if it was an accident. It was, I, don't, I don't understand. Okay? Maybe one day when I have all white hair, I'll get it. But here's the point. There were a lot of people who did not like the John Wesley is my homeboy shirt. They felt like it was irreverent. But I loved it because it took a guy who was just a guy who was obedient to the Lord, who followed his leading, and he started a denomination. 
I think we need to apply that same logic to Jesus, and that's what Max Licato is pointing here to, is that we don't often think of Jesus in terms of the way we think of ourselves or the way we think of our children. I had never thought about Jesus having a crush on somebody. Never entered my mind. Think about that. This morning as David was telling, his, sharing his testimony, I thought about that little boy. And I thought about the fact, now I don't know how we, this would come up in conversation. But at some point in his life, he is going to understand that Jesus knew exactly what that felt like. To be treated that way. Church, that is significant. It is significant for us to understand the entire humanity of Jesus. That he was 100% man and 100% God. And that math doesn't work but it doesn't matter. Jesus knows our lives in a way that we typically don't understand. That's point number three, that Jesus perfectly understands what it means to be human. Listen, the total sum of our lives is just a bunch of experiences. Think about it. We have these moment by moment, day by day, year by year experiences. I was telling somebody this morning that Saley's going to start as a freshman this year, and that blows my mind. It does not seem like she's old enough for that. And as I look back over the last 14 years of her life, it does not feel like 14 years has passed. As I look back on my marriage with my wife, it doesn't look like almost two decades have passed since we first started dating, but it has been. Our whole sum of life are these experiences that happen. And they, somebody told me one time, the older you get, the faster time moves. And, and I'm kind of starting to understand that a little bit. I know my understanding's not there yet. But our total sum of our lives are just these experiences. And Jesus had those same experiences. And when we're struggling, we can have confidence in the fact that Jesus knows exactly how we feel. He's been there. Look with me at John chapter 16, verses 19 through 24. This was in my quiet time yesterday morning. It says, Jesus knew they wanted to ask him, and so he said to them, Are you asking one another about what I said? In a little while you'll not see me. Again, in a little while you will see me. Pause for a minute. I would be asking questions about that statement too. Wait, I'm, I'm not going to see you, but I am going to see you? What does that mean? Look at verse 20. It says, Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. In that day, you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, anything you ask for in my Father's name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. Listen, Jesus is telling the disciples that sorrow is coming. But how they choose to respond will change the outcome of that experience. Life is going to be hard. We're going to go through difficult things. But look how Jesus responds to them. If you skip down to verse 31 and 33, it says, Jesus responded to them, Do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so, so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous 
I have conquered this world. Listen, Jesus is being a real good friend here. He's being a good friend because he's telling the disciples what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And it takes a good friend to do that, to tell you the truth when you want to hear otherwise. He's being honest with them. He's saying, look, this world is broken. There's going to be sorrow in this world because it is broken and sinful. It's coming. It's part of it. And rather than glossing over the problem so that it doesn't seem so bad, he tells them the truth of the problem. But he also tells them that he has already dealt with it. Jesus has conquered the problems of the world by defeating death. Jacob explained last week that death used to be able to, to reign over us and cause us fear. But I loved Leah's testimony this morning. Was it Jim was his name? The Jim was not afraid of death any longer because death was defeated. He did not have to fear separation from God, but knew that when he died, he would be joined with him. That's a hope that this world cannot offer us in any other way. Last week, Jake ended his message with this idea that if we're willing to get, that if Jesus was willing to give up his throne, humble himself to become like his creation, and then suffer the worst possible death, so that I wouldn't have to, this is the kind of God I want to tell people about. Because that's what we've been offered. Jesus took the punishment, the sin, the sorrow that was guaranteed for us because of sin, and he said, let me have that, let me do that for you. Have you ever thought about the dichotomy of suffering and joy? Follow me through this thought for a minute, okay? Because they seem like two opposite ends of the spectrum. But think about how they operate around one another. If I choose to sacrifice in order to serve someone else, what does that other person receive? Joy. Jesus sacrificed so that we didn't have to, and what we got out of it was joy. Jesus took the sin in our lives, the places where we had moral and ethical failures, the places where we messed up, and he exchanged them for joy and for righteousness. Here's the other part of that. When you sacrifice for someone else and you see the joy happen in their life, what does that give you? Joy. Right? Feels good. And it's supposed to. That's the way it works. Understanding the, fuel, the full humanity of Jesus changes the way we see life on this earth. It gives us a new lens in which to examine the world that we live in. If our goal is to be made progressively into Jesus' likeness, then how we respond to sorrow and sacrifice and suffering and trials or whatever word you want to use, how we respond to that is going to change if we are being made into Christ's likeness. Because we're going to begin to see those things the way that he sees them, that they're temporary, that they're momentary. They are hurtful, yes, but they're not lasting. They do not get the the final word. Our focus is going to shift from ourselves to others. By choosing to sacrifice for others, we are bringing them the joy of Christ. When we put others in a place in our lives that's more important than ourselves, we are bringing the joy of Christ with us. 
It's not something we put on, but rather it's something that happens as we abide in Christ. That's not something like I don't just decide I'm going to be sacrificial every day to everybody around me and they're going to be happy. That happens when I am being obedient to the word. That as I'm spending time with the Lord day by day and he is speaking in my life and I'm doing the things that he says, Christ's joy is going with me. When this truth that Jesus was fully human takes hold in our hearts, we're going to be willing to do anything that it takes to help others understand what we understand. I have a, um, a friend of mine, a couple of friends, going through separate things, but it's incredibly difficult for them right now. Life is, is hard. It feels like there's no hope for them. And everything that is within me wants them to realize, to understand, not in their minds, because it's in their minds. They know the truth of the gospel. They know that Jesus loves them. But they don't feel it right now. And everything that is in me wants them to understand that because I know what it feels like to suffer. And I know that Jesus knows what it feels like to suffer. And he knows that that's not the end, but they can't see past it in the moment. And that's not because I'm a good person. I don't want them to experience that just because it's going to make me feel good. It's because I've been there. And Jesus has that same experience. You have people in your lives who are suffering, and you want to help them. I tell people all the time, one of the worst feelings in the world is when one of your children is sick, and you can't do anything about it. You're helpless. And often that's how we feel when we look at the people's lives around us that are broken, that are hurting. We know what the answer is, but we can't... We can tell them, but the Holy Spirit has to do a work there. It's our job to help others see that Christ bridged the gap between holiness and humanity. That he's already done that work. They don't have to try to do it themselves. One of the commentaries I read this week says, What is missed by both those who deny the divinity of Jesus and those who reject his fuel humanity is that we as humans, human beings, needed a bridge between deity and humanity that could be built only by the one who had experienced fully both sides of the gulf separating us from God. This is the biblical picture. Is that we were separated from God. I'm reading a book right now um, by uh, Andy Weir. Um, anybody heard of Andy Weir before? Okay, he wrote The Martian. Have you seen the movie? If you haven't, ugh, you're missing out. Go see the movie. It's fantastic. He just released a new book called Hail Mary. Um, sorry, I'm going to give you a spoiler. Too late, it's already happening. In this book, there's a guy who's on an interstellar journey. He writes space stuff, that's why I love it. And looks out his spaceship, and there's another spaceship. Oh, okay. Through the course of this interaction, there's an alien, obviously, on the spaceship. And he and the alien are trying to figure out how to communicate. And one of the first things they need to figure out is their biomechanics, like how their stuff works. And what, he, what they discover about one another is that he breathes oxygen like we do. He's a human. But the alien breathes ammonia at 19 times the pressure that we need. So it's physically impossible for them to occupy the same space. And so they got to figure out the work around that. That's where I stopped. That's where I had to stop this week because I had to do this. So I didn't get to. I don't. I don't know the end of that story yet. I'm excited about it. But here's the point: as I'm thinking about this statement, as I'm thinking about what it means that we are separated from God, it's like this character and the alien. Before Christ became fully human, we were not able to occupy the same space as God. 
And Jesus giving up his deity, or giving up his, his spot on the throne to come and to be fully human, to poop in a diaper for me and you, bridged the gap that we could not bridge. He fixed what we broke. And church, when people are suffering in your lives, that's what they need to understand. Is that Jesus gave up everything, not just something, not just a little bit. He gave up everything that he had and took on everything that we have so that we could know God, so that that relationship could be restored. So our goal in knowing Christ is to know him fully. And to know him fully means that we become like him. It is impossible to know him fully and to not be like him. We can know about him and not be changed. But we cannot know him and stay the same. Jesus came to serve, church, not to be served. And our attitude must be changed to be like his. I, I wrote this down. You're going to laugh at this. You ever notice how a couple that's been married for a long time are very much alike? And what I was thinking about here is that my grandparents used to wear the same shirt. But have you ever noticed that after a couple's been married for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, that their mannerisms become the same? That the way they move about the house is very similar? It's because they've spent so much time together that they've melded into what we see in Scripture, that they've become one person. And I laughed at that this morning because Bethany got dressed and then I went and got dressed and we're coordinating colors today. <laughs> and that wasn't on purpose. I didn't go to my closet and think, hmm, what am I going to wear today? I just went and grabbed the shirt. As we spend time developing our relationship with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus, we become like Him. And when we become like Him, we begin to see the world the way that He sees it. We begin to see suffering the way that He sees it. We begin to accept the brokenness of the world for what it is. But we have hope that the world will not always be broken. That Jesus will return. That the Holy Spirit is here today. That He lives inside of us. And we don't have to go it alone we need to, to not understand just in our minds what he's done for us, but that, or rather allow that truth to change our lives into his likeness. I, get, I, I came up with some examples of what that looks like. When you think about Sunday mornings, it shouldn't be about what you like or what you want out of it. When you're going to life group, what's at the forefront of your mind should be other people that are going to be there and how you can love them well. When you're praying for the people in your life that Jesus is calling you to bless, Ask God how to put their needs ahead of your own. This is how Jesus lived his life. He lived it out before his disciples. He served them. He did everything for us. In churches, the author of Hebrews is writing this book of encouragement to the church that so desperately needed. What he wanted them to understand was that Jesus was fully human just like they were and he understood what it meant to suffer and to go through hardships. Church, we are not alone. What the world needs to hear, one of the messages is that Jesus was human. that He was like us. He experienced the things that we experienced and He did that because He loves us. I want to end with this passage today from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54 through 57. 
when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful that you have already fought and won the battle on our behalf. God, as we are walking through life and we experience things that are difficult, God, help us to, to, to see you in that immediately. To not be distracted by the hard stuff, but immediately be drawn to your spirit, to your presence, and ask you what you're doing. Fathers, we see suffering in the lives of the people around us, people that we love, people that we just meet. God, I ask that you would highlight the ways in which we can love them well. God, open up opportunities for us to have conversations to help them to understand how much you love them and that they are not alone in their suffering, that you know exactly what they're going through and what it feels like. God, show us the joy that comes from from knowing you well, from loving others well. Help us to see that when we put others before ourselves, that something miraculous happens in their lives and in ours. That in the midst of hurt and suffering, there is joy that can be found nowhere else. Father, draw our hearts to you so that we can be the people that you have called us to be. To love the way that you have called us to love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.